we're doing both part one and two today. Yes, which means no watching back in real time because I need to yeah, be out of I'm, here. I'm just double checking. Have you actually watched them, Dan, or are you just going off memory? No, I've watched them both. Good. Right, I'm going to set my playback speed to two times. Hit the intro, and then we'll hit play. I'll turn the volume down. Let me know when you guys are ready to press play. I am not going to press play because I can't do it fast enough. So I'll just. You won't be at double time. I'll be riffing and scatting, by which I mean drop, dripping. By which I mean stumbling over my words and drifting off to sleep mid-record, if not mid-sentence. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Ah, uh, three, two, one. Engage. Welcome to this week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. Hello and welcome to Series 5, Episode 7 of Remedial Nerding. This week it's The Best of Both Worlds, Part 1 and 2. Dun dun dun. Even from the get-go of this episode, you can tell it's serious. Like, they've got the serious music playing. Everyone's using their serious voice. Yeah, and they're straight into, we're beaming down to a planet in trouble. Although, I think O'Brien needs to learn to go back to how to run the transport school. Because when Riker questions, are you sure we're in the right place? He says, yeah, you should be in the centre of town. And the centre of town quite obviously should have been in the middle of that crater. Well, realistically, the centre of town should have been, you know, three or four hundred feet above the centre of the crater, so they should have materialised in thin air and immediately accelerated to terminal velocity. Well, I mean, this raises a lot of questions about what safety protocols are in the transporter. (laughs) Like, it seems like a very potent anti-boarding technique if you can just transport any boarders into space. Maybe they removed that functionality after the Discovery era. The thing to me is really weird at two times speed. It's cool. Oh yeah, so the cold open here is, there's a town in trouble. Oh no, wait, there's just a massive scoop out of the surface of the Earth. Only that it's not the Earth. Out of Earth 2, or Earth 5000 or something, I don't know. Whatever the colony was called, yeah. New Providence, maybe? I don't know why I remembered that out of everything that happens in this episode. <laughs> there we meet Admiral JP, who seems to be very good friends with Picard and Riker. He also seems to be the only admiral that we've met so far in Star Trek that's not basically a douchebag. There was yeah. the the guy in Measure of a Man who just appeared to be drunk. He didn't seem particularly yes. malicious. <laughs> Apart from the fact that, oh yes, by the way, thanks for showing me around the ship. Uh, yeah, we're taking your android, bye. Oh yeah, I signed off on that or whatever. Anyway, I've got to jet. <laughs> Looks like we're gonna have to jump. I've got to fly the USS Dick Butts is departing without me. And we also get introduced uh, to Commander Shelby, who's basically pining after Riker's job. Yeah, she's a bit of a dick. I say by a bit of a dick, I mean a lot of a dick. So she's, yeah, like a featured extra in the, in both these episodes. Because she's never appeared before and I believe never appears again. Apparently nope. I, was, I was talking with um, a fabulous artist from previous seasons, um, Matt Brazier, the other day. And apparently Shelby being a dick and chasing Riker's job was because they were pretty sure Sir Stewart 
Patrick was going to leave and this was them killing him off. Although it seems like somewhere between part one and part two, they settled and signed a contract for probably an extortionate fee. I don't know if I believe it or not, but certainly, yeah, in the metaphor, because in the story of this episode, spoilers for people who haven't seen it, Picard gets got by the Borgs. <laughs> and I say it with a plural just to annoy people because I picked up that habit from the greatest generation. Um, he gets got by the Borg and it seems like he might be off the show now and now it's Captain Riker and his space adventures with his new first mate Shelby who's a totally recurring character and not an extra. Yeah. And the way the season break is, yeah, it seems like it, they could be watching it as someone who knows you're watching a TV show with actors who have contracts. You do think maybe you could actually be off the sh- show. He's off this shit. <laughs> I mean, it's undermined slightly by the fact that um, part two, season four, episode one comes on and it's JLP doing the um, voice speech over. The voice speech voice intro. <laughs> uh. Can we get a hard reboot of Nathan, please? <laughs> How have you tried turning yourself off and on again? Reconfigure the primary power coupler. I mean, I normally do that every 24 hours or so, but I wasn't allowed to last night. <laughs> Toggle your own damn switch. That's definitely what she said. <laughs> so, the first uh, part one is essentially the Borg are coming. We're going to check out this planet. Here's Commander Shelby. She's a dick to Riker because she wants his job. Riker tries to be less of a dick back to her because now he's older and more professional. Yeah, well, she's the um, analogy of ambition. And going back to what we said about could this be the the Riker show from now on, Riker is having to learn how to be a captain. But this whole first episode is very serious, as you said. It's kind of more like a war story than any other episode I've seen so far, possibly including yesterday's Enterprise, because there's no fun romances happening in 10 Forward slash the Barrack Canteen. No, there's no kind of comedic or romantic subplot. I suppose the subplot is the rivalry, isn't it? Mm. Oh, this is Will getting offered the uh, the Melbourne and him going, ah, no, I'm all right, cheers. I've got the sound down, so I now can't see if they pronounce it in the Australian fashion or as someone from Los Angeles might be expected to. I believe they do pronounce it Melbourne. As opposed to Melbourne. Lanson, not Launston. Launceston. Leicester Square. I don't understand why Launston is a thing. <laughs> it's either Lanson or Launceston. Anyway, we're well off topic. We're, we've drifted well, well, well off topic. Unless you're from you know, our part of the world or Tasmania, you won't really understand. <laughs> I had a bit when they're all crowded around the, um, the engineering station and they're like, is this the same ship we met? I don't know but its dimensions are identical. So it could be. Or not. <laughs> I reckon Wesley was really hung over there as well, because he's like bent over from the waist with his entire forearms resting on the table. I think he's just struggling to hold on in case the world falls over. It's like it has been a long shift. I mean, isn't this the same scene in which everyone is totally exhausted because Shelby's been working them on a 16-hour day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she got them all up early and ignored Riker and went down to the planet before anyone else was up and 
then another 16-hour shift, and she wanted to keep working. Yeah, and her excuse was, Data doesn't sleep. Riker's response of, but you do, to bed, young lady. (laughs) Yeah. We would have thought that by this point, the rest of the crew would have had the high-collared uniforms. Yeah, I think it's still a case of the extras get them out of the bin. So one thing we missed context-wise in this episode that I was reading about the other day was where they met the Borg, and that was another Q-ism where he just spammed them a couple of years across the galaxy and they accidentally met the Borg and then had to get Q to run away. So they've known about the Borg for about a year. I was going to ask what we've established about them before this episode. The Star Trek universe does include an incredibly wide range of power level. Because they they specifically refer to the Enterprise as being the strongest fleet in the strongest the strongest ship in Starfleet, and there have definitely been episodes where they have a diplomatic puzzle because some, you know, twenty second century spaceship is attempting to attack them and having precisely zero effects. So they don't know exactly how to react. Yeah, but in this one, any Federation ship that goes up against a Borg cube essentially gets destroyed. And so the whole first episode is, it kind of put me in mind of like a Das Boot or something, where they're constantly like running, hiding, trying to keep up, trying some crazy scheme, it doesn't work. It's the first time you really see the Federation up against something that is beyond a peer. Because hmm. even, even in the original series, when the Romulans had their cloaking device, they were, yeah, there were trade-offs, they weren't, they were different, they weren't necessarily more powerful, whereas this ball cube really, really is. I thought when the Borg puncture the uh, you've just seen the bit I have as well where they've breached the hull and Geordie does his little roll on Indiana Jones roll underneath the closing door he loves that little roll he lives for warp core emergencies he'd also think that they would have a slightly more robust hull breach policy with their use of force fields and things actually you wouldn't need to just abandon engineering because someone had made a small hole in the hull in the engineering section what are they going to do evacuate the entire engineering hull to the saucer yep not not just put some emergency bulkheads in and, you know. And then we get all Wrath of Carney. Which looks like it uses exactly the same nebula again. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is I think this is the point I was specifically... I wrote down while I was watching it. This is like a submarine film now. Because I think they do literal depth charges. Yeah. For the Enterprise, which is hanging out in a nebula trying to evade detection. I'm just kind of scrubbing around to try and keep roughly where you guys are. So I'm not sure if I'm <laughs> behind now. We're 23 minutes in. I mean, Wesley has some super special permissions on ship, doesn't he? He's not part of the senior team, yet he's in all the briefings. Why yeah. is there an ensign in the senior officer briefings? And in this time of, in this state of war, why is the field commission ensign flying the damn ship? <laughs> Have you not got a commander that's qualified for this? <laughs> Well, he's meant to be some kind of warp field prodigy, so maybe he's busting out the super science hijinks on a regular. <laughs> I did like the bit where Riker turned down Shelby's idea. She had a pop at him, and he was like, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll go to the captain with all options, but I'm not recommending yours. Two seconds later, he goes to Picard's office, and she's sat in there and just gone, Riker's a bitch. <laughs> Here's my plan. <laughs> And then he gives her a dressing down in the elevator. And the big boy was mean to me. <laughs> there are some really nice shots of the Enterprise in the nebula. It was a big budget episode altogether. I mean, Borg Cube, I think, was a new model for this. 
Well, they had seen the board cube before. I don't know whether they recycled mm. it or not, or, or up intricated it. In is that any word, case, intricated. It is another set because they walk around inside it. Hmm. Which they did before, so actually they probably reused the, uh, probably some of the set pieces from before. But even so, I think it is a very uh, budget-heavy episode. Garnon giving her heart-to-heart advice. Watching this back again like this now, it makes me realise actually there's quite a lot of not that much happening in the episode. Yeah, yeah that episode is so one. You can probably skip and just go. We get a specialist on board. Picard gets kidnapped. Oh no! I, I think because the the cliffhanger for this episode, which I'm going to go ahead and spoil now, is Picard's been got. He's partly assimilated into the Borg collective. Rikers and Shelby team have developed their one-off super cannon. So the last line of the episode is Riker looking at assimilated Picard, now Lacutus on board, and saying, fire. Brackets, this show is now about Captain Riker. Yeah. Which, because up to this point, Shelby has been needling Riker about him not being willing to take big decisions, and there's no bigger decision yeah. in the whole series than that one. That was one of my favourite things about the, the start of the second episode. But yeah, the long periods of not much happening is also partly why it reminds me of a submarine film, I think. Because yeah. those pretty much all have a scene where everyone just has to sit silently and chew their nails while they wait to find out if they're going to be blown up or not. I chew quietly. I like that they had to walk Picard all the way through the ship to get to the big, long, empty space in the middle before they could use the intercom to speak to him. <laughs> I think when this was on TV in the 90s and I was watching it as a youth, I did not see part one that was series three. But I definitely remember seeing part two, series four, and picking it up from the previously on. They're generally pretty good with the previously ons. It definitely led me to believe that Picard's uniform was a highly significant clue because it features in the previously on. Or rather than the, we've just undressed him. Well, it's like the rescue crew on the board Cuba wandering around and like track down his communicator and then just find it in a cupboard somewhere. So it's a creepy and unsettling detail, but it is not plot critical in any way. I did like the amount of science that they crammed in. So like all the changes that they're making to the weapons and that, they all give a reason for rather than just, oh yeah, we just adjusted it, it it's fine. Now, i tell you... What part of the spectrum they're adjusting it to for how long and how quickly it's going to change? And well, Star Trek wouldn't be Star Trek without the techno babble. Yeah, I mean their their plot on board the cube, for all that they describe it in highly technical and metaphorical language, basically amounts to what if we start breaking shit? <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, beam over and smash fuck out of everything. I did like how like Beverly's like, "Ooh, what's that flashing red box?" And Data's like, "Yeah, I can tell you all about that." Rounds off a bit of spill, and they're like, let's just smash some of these. It's like, how does he know? <laughs> he didn't even use his tricorder, he just looked at it and went, yeah, I know what that is. So while this attempted rescue mission is going on, they've got some secondary objective or primary objective while they're over there, but I can't remember what it was. Well, the primary objective was find Picard. Secondary objective was do enough damage to bring him out of warp. Oh yeah, that was it. It was because the, the Enterprise can't keep up when they're at full warp. Or at least it can't keep up and also charge its super gun. Well, they haven't built the super gun yet. They talked about it, but I don't think they'd actually got around to, to making it. They just need to slow it down because it's on a 
as the crow flies direct line towards San Francisco at the moment. And they have <laughs> just finished the super gun. Dramatic reveal of Patrick Stewart. Oh, maybe ahead of you. Dramatic reveal of Patrick Stewart turning around to face camera and shine a laser pointer directly down the barrel, <laughs> which has been hot glued to the side of his head. That was uh, yeah, some good aiming, pointing at the uh, at the camera. I wonder how many of the set hands he blinded in the process. Yeah, there had to have been some live direction for that. Down a bit, down a bit, left, left, down. Yes, nailed it. Well, you can get around it by just putting like a white screen around the camera lens so you can see the spot on it and then just move. Just track your head till it gets in. Might have taken him a few takes. Oh, the phasers don't work anymore. Yeah. They were very shooty. Get some, get some, get some. This bit amuses me. So they've yeah, Picard's just turned around. Worf runs up to him, gets knocked over by the uh, by the force. For them. Oh, let's get out of here! So he then just stands up and stands dead straight upright in between two Borg that, def- that for some reason didn't try and you know grab him or punch him or anything like that, just so that he was kept his arms and legs inside the transporter beam. <laughs> yeah, in fiction, that's probably safe tra- use of the transporter. Definitely don't attempt to transport while you're leaping off a balcony or anything. But but in- it has been used that way. <laughs> But in, uh, I wonder if in reality that's because we need a static picture to draw over with the sparkles. I now can't think if anyone ever moves while they're being transported. Uh, not particularly, or not that you see them depart in uh, like next gen, but then for example in the reboots they definitely do because they're falling from the big space drill thing and get transported on. But then CGI is a lot more advanced these yeah. days than it was 30 years ago. Wharf. Fire. To be continued. Dun, dun, dun. The theme tune at double time is pretty awesome. Okay, I've got the second half lined up. Go for part two. Go! So in, in live broadcast, this was like a... The whole summer, wasn't it? If not, it wouldn't have been a year, I guess, but... Uh, let me have a look. It would have been a while... Uh, it was June the 18th and September the 24th, so three months. Oh, Netflix just skips directly over the previously on, it appears. <laughs> so the previously on is is the entire bit before the credits. There is no other pre-credit bit. Hmm. Yeah, you don't really need much of the, Riker, you're not getting yourself promoted. Why is that? Shelby wants your job. Yeah, that kind of goes away once the stakes have reached this level of the Earth is possibly going to be destroyed unless our supergun works, which it doesn't. I mean, that's the immediate thing for this multi-month cliffhanger, is that they fire the supergun, intending to kill Bacard in the process. And it just doesn't work. Yeah. It just goes, yeah. yeah. And then you get Locutus just mocking, going, yeah, we know what Picard knows, and he knew you were going to do that shit. I still think that for the voiceover in the second part episode, they should have had Riker recorded. Should have been Riker, or, yeah. Jonathan Frakes. That would have been so unsettling. Just for that one episode. And I mean, it can't have cost that much, because the professional actor could probably do that in one take. At most, half an hour in the sound booth. Yeah. They do that on your lunch break. I suppose you've got to pay someone to remix it, but yeah, well. You might also have had to take out the credit, because he's the first starring name as Captain Picard. <laughs> Just put it in as Locutus. <laughs> <laughs> guest starring Patrick Stewart as the cutest of Borg. It's the build up to the infamous infamous Wolf three five nine. <laughs>
Oh yeah, so while they were planning the super gun plot, they were on the radio to Admiral JP or whatever his name was. And his plan was, yeah, okay, you, you the Enterprise, you keep doing what you can. We're going to move every other ship we have to Wolf 359, which is between them and San Francisco. <laughs> and I guess we'll see what happens. Just meet us there. Just yeah, get back as soon as you can. I'm a little bit disappointed they didn't spend an absolute fortune and show you the Battle of War 359. <laughs> I mean, they spent an absolute fortune to show you the wreckage of 359. Yeah. Yeah, you get an update from Admiral JP where he's just saying, like, oh, it's not going super great, static, static, static. <laughs> and then, yeah. And he was never seen again. Yeah. And then a very effective and creepy process where the Enterprise finally kind of, now that it's screwed up its uh, warp engines trying to fire the super gun, kind of limps into the battlefield and just drifts through space for a while, sadly saying the names of the bits of hot radioactive metal floating by. <laughs> One of which is the Melbourne. Riker gives a, oh shit, I could have been on that ship, the ship look. Although, the thing I wanted to put, uh, talk about with Admiral JP before he gets toasted is that he's told about the Lakuta situation and basically says, well, I'm not going to blame John Luke for that. No one should. Because it's like, well, he got killed. That's unfortunate. Yeah, not- Cuts a Lakutus on the Borg ship, shedding a single tear. Whereas at the opposite end of the spectrum is... Uh, Benjamin Sisko, as we later find out. Wasn't was Jake with him on that? Yeah. Surely they would have taken time to offload you know, the kids. Women and children first before we go and engage this massive existential threat. I think that's the very first scene of um Deep Space Nine is this incredibly traumatic sequence of Sisko's wife dying in battle at Wolf three five nine. Yeah, this is rated a 12, but as watching it as a 12-year-old, it was very scary and unpleasant. <laughs> it's definitely stuck with me, the kind of body horror of this episode. Yeah, it's pretty pretty dark. It's, the, the whole idea of the Borg is pretty horrific. Mm. Oh, Will's just done his little uh, walk around everyone in the observation lounge. Well, you could be first officer, but no, 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 no. All right, shall we? By process of elimination, it's you because you're the only one without an actual job to do. <laughs> yeah, that's the logic. It's like we we don't want to promote the only guy who knows how to use the super gun into not super gun position. <laughs> ditto, Geordie. Ditto, Data. We do get to see Riker sit in a chair without performing the Riker maneuver. Well, is that because it's the captain's chair and it's physically you'd have to like leap over the bar at the back or whatever it is. <laughs> It's not actually one of the bridge seats. It is Picard's chair in his ready room. After his conversation with Guinan about you don't have to be Captain Picard, you now have to be Captain Riker. He sits in the chair like a normal person. But it isn't one of the super small footstools that they have in uh, 10 Forward. It is quite a sizable chair. God, there's going to be so much cutting silence out of this. Absolutely. There's a lot of general chit-chat and debate amongst the crew that is great for plot but and backstory, but... I mean, it is also a difficulty of watching compelling and serious drama for this thing. That <laughs> you end up watching the drama. Absolutely. Dun-dun-dun. I was looking up the actress who played Shelby. I believe I've got the right person. 
It's a very odd choice to put her number one known for credits is being in Hancock as Rail Crossing Crowd number two. I mean, unless that was the name of the love interest or something, it doesn't seem like a big role. I think you've got the wrong person. Elizabeth Hannah Dennehy is an American television and film actress best known for her role as Commander Shelby in Star Trek The Next Generation two-part episode, The Best of Both Worlds. Well, I mean, this this person is also called Elizabeth Dennehy and is an American actress of roughly the right age. I did notice, Dan, I'm not sure if you spotted it, when Will sat in the chair, he leant back, he then proceeded to perform the Picard manoeuvre and pulled his uniform down. Yep. Also, hearing Riker say, make it so, a couple of times just doesn't work for me. I would like to meet to discuss terms. It is unlike you are prepared to accept our terms. Good, Because we don't have any. I did wonder if they were going to go into the Podameron gambit here of just pretend to have Skype problems until they're too distracted to notice what you're doing. <laughs> Spoilers for the best Star Wars film. That was one of the best parts of the film. It was. I'm struggling so hard not just to talk about The Last Jedi instead now. so Will's come up with quite a clever plan involving separating the saucer section and using it as a massive chaff (laughs) go over there and make a big distraction and then launch your little shuttle because we haven't got fighters so I have now just got the image of the uh, Futurama uh, episode I think it's Bender's big score where Leela bashes the shit out of the spaceship and he uses Zoidberg as a distraction and he comes in balancing on a beach ball, juggling burning clubs, going, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. <laughs> Falls over, burns down the, the canvas he's to screen the ship, and goes, don't look at me. <laughs> it's basically what they're just doing with the saucer section. Yeah, so Data and Worf are going in on their abduct Locutus, or re- anti-abduct Picard plan. And they've got some um, graphing calculators duct taped to their upper arms, which I guess are like emergency transporter boosters or something. Probably. That'd be a fair shout. Shooty shooty. Yeah, I thought they went they went hard early on this. Like as soon as they see a ball moving, they shoot him. He might not even have been coming towards them. Also, why does Wolf not have his batleth? <laughs> I mean, I know they used that in first contact. Well they had a scene earlier where both Wolf and Riker attempt to get into fisticuffs with a Borg and get chucked across the room for their trouble. Yeah, that's why you don't get into fisticuffs with them. It's why you take a, a sword to a knife fight. <laughs> you get into slashy-slashy with them. Yeah. I see you've played knifey spoony before. Oh, yeah, so they locate the cute as Data runs up and jams a paperclip in the back of his neck. <laughs> Which, I guess, turnabout's fair play. I oh, know it was Riker that did that to him before, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Maybe that's where you got the idea. Riker's brief to Data. You remember that time I turned you off? <laughs> If you weren't expecting it. Yeah, we're going to do that. Like how they've got the coot sedated, and then it cuts to Beverly like leaning close into him and like trying to wake him up, surreptitiously turning the laser pointer on as she does. Right. No. Full marks for the sit-up. I reckon he's got his feet clamped. Because if you've got something on your, on your legs like that, it's, yeah, it's the only way you could bend like that. Or they got the old... Your legs are actually in the bed, and you're just in a sitting position, and they're fake legs. No, because for that to work, when he was lying back, his uh, hips would have had to bend 90 degrees the wrong direction. Another unsettling sequence in this is Locutus slash Picard in sickbay while they try and figure out what they're going to do here. And it is unclear who's speaking a lot of the time. 
exceptional acting from Patrick Stewart in this whole sequence. Because they do, they attempt various things like um, pull out the Ethernet cable, <laughs> turn on the microwave so the Wi-Fi doesn't work as well. And at times when that seems to be working, um, Patrick Stewart will kind of drop the very stiff affect he has as Locutus and do things like grab onto a rail to steady himself. Props for character acting. Well, that's what you get for your, your classic Shakespearean training. Just in which Shakespearean play does it, do you learn how to portray a Borg? Twelfth Night. <laughs> I was going to say Titus Andronicus. I mean, I've never seen or even read Twelfth Night. It's just the first one that came to mind. I've never seen or read either of them. <laughs> Season six. <laughs> the lesser the Shakespeare works plays. works of Shakespeare. But not the ones you had to learn at school. Yeah, so no Romeo and Juliet or Macbeth. Or Merchant of Venice. Or Twelfth Night. Or not Twelfth Night. The Tempest. The really meta one that should not be assigned to children. I love how they show that you know, Data's upped his CPU speed by uh, turning up the speed of the lights blinking inside his head. Yep. More blinky LEDs, more processing power. Everyone knows that. I mean, everyone knows if you look inside a computer, it's just like a, a wafer of silicon with lots of little shiny lights on it. Yeah. Yeah, so what's happening in, that calls for lots of shiny lights is that they decide to get a USB cable and jam it into data and also into Locutus and see what happens. They try this several times with data at various points of the uh, the season and it rarely works as advertised. So our clock now is like 27 minutes until they get to California. Beverly's just worked out that the link from Picard to the Borg works both ways and they're unwilling to sever it so maybe they can use that to inject some some malware. They can infect it with Stuxnet. And send over some yeah, JavaScript. Send them a PDF that says please sign the attached and return it to me. <laughs> Assimilate local sing- singles in your area. <laughs> well, basically just yeah he puts them all to sleep puts them all into the regeneration mode because they go through various it's a fun hacking sequence where it says alright let's try first attempt turn off all the weapons uh, you administrative password required uh. <laughs> but then Picard kind of summons the wisdom save to <laughs> suggest sleep you're like, oh yeah, we can turn on the do your housework and then go to bed routine, which is not password protected. <laughs> I mean, who password protects their Roomba? And that's it, yeah. This is basically a metaphor for the modern connected home. <laughs> All right. The Enterprise is about to be ripped apart and Riker's we're going to do it, Dana, we're going to do it. like, stand by, I can't! <laughs> Well, it is do or die. I did like how the Borg Cube shot them in exactly the same spot on the hull yeah. with a weapon that looked exactly the same because they didn't just put the same you know, half a dozen frames back in. No, yeah. they're not that lazy. They blew all their CGI budget on that graveyard and that fancy lift in Data's lab that they brought Locutus down on. And they've used that one before, though. They used that for Lal, Data's daughter. I mean, we think CGI is expensive. It can't be cheap to get someone to paint like a room-sized map painting of a crater in an alien world. <laughs> that's that's very true. So send another away team over just to see what, make sure that the plans actually worked, even though it quite obviously has. Yeah, make sure they are all asleep. And by 
telling them to all go to sleep, it somehow triggered an auto-destruct. Oh, yeah, because they have a brief discussion of, so what do we do with this massive civilization-destroying behemoth in orbit around Earth? Oh, it doesn't matter, it's about to explode. I took a job the uh, the non-removable bits of Borg, include a, a loincloth. <laughs> so that's as Picard staggers out of the uh, sensor mesh that he's in, actually as Picard. But that can't be fun, having all those tubes and stuff inserted into you. I like his cut-out shaped plasters that he has on his head. Yeah. I mean, with his artificial heart, he was pretty much a cyborg already anyway. <laughs> so even though Picard still was the healing, it does seem to be pretty much straight back to straight back business to as usual. Yeah, because that explosion happens at kind of three minutes before the end of the episode, so there's not a lot of time for him to go, I just experienced the most traumatic thing in my life and possibly anyone's life. Although he does have a little bit of that. He picks up his Earl Grey tea, puts it back on the desk and then goes and looks out the window. Yeah, it turns out that Picard himself falls somewhere in between the JP to Cisco spectrum of how much to blame he considers himself. What was interesting was actually going on from this and then watching Family, the next yeah, episode. episode three. After having had super high budget, stakes could not possibly be higher, epic space battles. In The next episode is... Picard cries in a field in France. Gets into a mud wrestling match with his older brother. It is an excellent episode, but it's a radical change in tone. It is, but it's some good some good catharting going on in it for Picard. Yeah, that's it. Also, Wolf's mother is in that episode, which is hilarious. <laughs> Wolf's, well, Wolf's dad's hilarious as well. True. Oh, I've not seen this bit of the ship yet. I'm not quite sure if they're meant to be Jewish or just look like they're from Fiddler on the Roof. Their last name is Rajenko, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they're which, from Minsk. Which I always got confused with the coffee in Deep Space Nine. That's Raktagino. Yeah. <laughs> the Klingon coffee. It, it can't really be Klingon coffee because it's served warm. <laughs> Everyone knows that everything on Klingon home planets is best served cold. Just like Gah. Gah is not served cold. Gah is definitely served warm because it's alive. <laughs> Can't be that cold. It's only revenge that's best served cold. And, uh, the Klingon over the whole span of Star Trek are probably competitors for widest range of characterizations. Because yeah. they go from, well, now with the pushing both boundaries, they in Discovery where they're incomprehensibly evil, scaly dog monsters to Deep Space Nine where there's a restaurateur who plays the accordion while you eat. <laughs> I forgot about him. I thought you were going to go for the original series guys just with the oh, yeah, sinister face paint. Yeah. <laughs> so that kicks us back into season, end of season three into season four. Where do we next land? I seem to remember season four is really good so I'm hoping we've got a run of classics now. Well. Uh-oh. It is from season four. You're just going to make me regret my phrasing now, aren't you? It is definitely one from the not good pile. <laughs> They're my favourite. What have we got? Uh, night terrors. There's one key line from it, and that is uh, one moon circles. Uh, yeah, everyone forgets how to dream except Troy, who does it too much. 
Correct. She dreams so hard. <laughs> that is uh, season four, episode seventeen. Colorless green ideas dream furiously. It is most of that phrase, actually. Yeah, I think season four is definitely the one that I was most aware of, or like the one where I realised I liked Star Trek and wanted to watch it at six o'clock on BBC Two. Yeah. What other ones are in season four? Yeah, Family are good. Brothers is good. Remember Me is a very creepy and good episode. Is this our last one in season four then? I know it's not. But we'll save that for the end of the next episode. Don't want to spoil it. Oh man, we've missed some really good episodes. <laughs> but 16 of them, at least. Yeah, well, the ones we've got Clues. Clues is a really good episode. First Contact, another good episode. Hold on a minute. That's clearly a film. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember Clues, but I remember First Contact, so I'm pretty sure I saw that in the Acampton Carlton. <laughs> oh, Identity Crisis is quite good. The Nth Degree, that's the one with Barkley, where he becomes a genius. Oh yeah, Flowers for Algonon, but with Reg Barkley instead of a mouse. Oh, we also get the Trill. Well, I mean, not in the episodes we're watching, but that's in Season 4. Oh, and the end of season four um, is Redemption Part One and Two, the the Klingon Civil War. Anyway, that's that's not what this episode is about. That's not what this season's about. About looking and saying, "Oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. And that's a good one. And that's a good one." Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. I mean, that one's a stinker, which is why it's on our docket for next next recording. <laughs> yes. Well, on that note, let's uh, go and steal ourselves for some night terrors next time. Who knows, maybe Nathan will be able to get some sleep and experience some night terrors between now and then. One can only <laughs> hope. <laughs> Hang on a minute, that that's not the theme tune. I am Locutus of Borg. Resistance is futile. Your life as it has been is over. From this time forward... You will service us. That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding.